So have you ever had that experience where you walk into a room and the people in that room talking about you? Or maybe you've actually been the person talking about somebody else and then they walked in and you didn't realize that they were standing right behind you? I'd like you right now to do something that, uh, that we get to do because we are doing uh, worship virtually tonight. I'd actually like you to pause your video in just a moment here, and then whoever you're with, your, 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 your family, your household there, I'd like you to take a moment, and if, and if you have any stories of a time where you either walked in on people talking about you or you were talking about somebody else, I'd like you to share that story. And then once you've done sharing your stories, then you can go and press play and then keep going forward with the worship service. All right, now hopefully you were able to share some, some fun stories. I want to share one for, for you uh, from my life. There was a, an, a time when I was in college that I think of. Um, so I, was, I went to Bethany Lutheran College in Mankato, Minnesota, which is the college that is owned and operated by the church organization that Abiding Shepherd belongs to. Uh, it's owned and operated by our synod. And while I was a student there, I was actually I was a student body president. And there was this, this time where uh, we had this event that we had each year, and it was a big highlight event. But I looked at the budget line, and I was like, man, we, we are spending way too much money on this one single event. We need to be able to, to put money in other places. And so I made the decision to cut the budget significantly for this event and, uh, and, and told the activities uh, person, uh, that we were going to be doing that. Well, as you can imagine, that person was not very happy with me, and maybe rightly so, because I, I cut it a lot. Um, and so later after this, this meeting, I, I remember I was going into our, our coffee shop, the lab coffee shop at Bethany, and this person was up at the coffee bar um, just talking about how, how terrible it was that I had cut the budget for this event. And then I was able to do the whole walking up behind them and, oh, hey, good to see you. How's it going? And the person jumped and, you know, and it, 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 was, it, was, it was really pretty funny um, because it was something that that it wasn't, I, I knew it was a hard thing that I was making. I, I knew I was making that hard choice, and, and I knew they wouldn't be very happy with it. And I didn't feel like this person was really attacking me as an individual. I think they're more so just, just venting about the difficulty now of, of trying to, to still put on this great event with a lot less budget, which, by the way, they did a fantastic job, and we did have just as good of an event while spending a lot less money. So it all worked out well. But that was more of one of those, uh, those more comical experiences of somebody talking about you. And then you kind of walk in on it. But there are other times where if there are people we know talking about us, that man, it hurts. Especially if it's somebody who is really close to us. And if they start saying some things that, uh, that are so negative about us or, or even start acting away in a way that goes against us. Or if they take something that we trusted them with and then they take and just share it with others, or maybe, maybe do the exact opposite of what we were talking with them about. It is just, it is painful. It's one of the, 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 the stings of sin that we experience in this world sometimes, that feeling of being betrayed. And tonight we have a lesson where we get to consider how our Savior brings us hope and brings us healing by he himself being betrayed. Lesson we have, it's Psalm 41, verses 7 8. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has beset him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. 
Now, something we've been talking about through this series a few times now is we've been talking about how sections of Scripture, some sections have this special characteristic of being what we call messianic, meaning that is a section of Scripture that ultimately points to Jesus, the Messiah. But as we think about these sections of Scripture, sometimes there are sections of Scripture that just clearly point ahead to Jesus the Messiah. Last week, Pastor Krause gave us, and we went through an example of that. But often these sections work in, a, in, a, in a, a, a way that might seem unique to us at first, but it's a beautiful way that Scripture works, where there's a section that has an initial fulfillment in somebody's life, and often in the Psalms, it's in the life of David, but then it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But even beyond the Psalms, even beyond just that individual, we see this sort of thing happening a lot in the Old Testament where you have what we call design patterns that that happen over and over again where you see repeated themes. But then in Jesus' life, they reach their ultimate fulfillment, their completion. In Jesus' life, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever played with one of those, uh, those, those telescopes, like the old pirate telescope where you have it at first, it, it's short, and then you, you t- untwist it, or, or twist it, and it extends, and then it gets to its fullest amount. So it's there already, but then you extend it to its fullest point. This is the idea with Jesus, is that you have these themes, these recurring events uh, in the history of, of God's people, in the history of Israel, and in the history of the world. But in Jesus, it reaches its fullest extent. In Jesus, it is perfected. In Jesus, it is fulfilled. Now, one of the really incredible things about that is, is that the fact that these design patterns are fulfilled in Jesus and the fact that you have an initial fulfillment in David but then a complete fulfillment in Jesus is that this is really inviting us to see our story as part of Jesus' story. The way the scripture set it up is that Jesus is the completion or the fulfillment of the story of his people. And so when we see an event in in Scripture and we see Jesus' passion and we see Jesus being betrayed in this lesson, it is inviting us to see ourselves in that, to consider ways where we have experienced that, but then to see how Jesus experienced it in its fullest so that he could complete and perfect our story. So as we look at our lesson tonight, we're going to consider these words that David wrote about events in his life, and we're going to consider how we can relate to these words and to these feelings from events in our lives so that we might better experience or, and, and understand how Jesus experienced these very same things, how Jesus was betrayed so we could have healing from when we've been betrayed. As we think about David's life, uh, there's a couple of events that, that likely triggered this, this, this writing, this Psalm, and they're both these sad events of betrayal. One of them is that, and they actually both have to do with his sons um, who are desiring the throne. One of them is really desiring the throne from him himself. So he has his son Absalom, and uh, there's this difficult situation with their family. But by the way, um, you know, I think sometimes in our lives we need to be reminded that family is often messy. You know, and sometimes with the, the, the Satan, the enemy, can get to talking to us and saying, you know, all those issues your family has, you know, wouldn't it be nice if your family had it all together like that other family? The reality is, every family is messy. Every one of them is. Every family has its drama, its challenges. Uh, they might vary in the way that it shows up, but every family has its challenges. And it's the same thing with all the families in Scripture. David's family had a lot of challenges. And we have this one where his son Absalom wants the throne from David, But then we see that not only does Absalom want that throne, 
But one of David's closest advisors, someone who David was able to talk to, who, who David trusted, actually then went and sided with David's son. And so we see this awful betrayal. There's another one though, towards the end of David's life, which isn't so much geared towards David himself, but through geared at the line of David. It comes from his son again, but you may recall that David, uh, the successor to David, was to be Solomon. Well, one of David's other sons wanted the throne. And here again, you have someone who David trusted, someone who was with David through a number of battles and, and through difficult things, through many victories and the things in David's life, at this point then goes and sides with David's son. And so David has a couple different events where he can experience these things and what would likely prompt him to write the words of our lesson that describe this experience of being betrayed, this experience that is ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. Now, as we look at Jesus and we look at his life and we look at the passion history, we can see clearly where Jesus ultimately experiences this and really fulfills this whole uh, being betrayed, this concept of being betrayed. Jesus had, of course, his 12 disciples, and then there was that one disciple, Judas Iscariot, who betrays him. As you think about this betrayal, you need to realize that, that Judas is part of Jesus' inner circle. Uh, the, the scripture described Jesus as having, having disciples, and we often just think of the 12, but the reality is often there are many, many more people there. The 12 are simply the inner circle, the core group, the closest to him. Judas is one of the closest to Jesus. He went with Jesus on his ministry. Uh, Jesus and the rest of the disciples trusted Judas to take care of the finances. Judas would have been there for all these various miracles, would have been a part of all of this, this announcing the kingdom to the, to the world, to the area there. I mean, it was, it was this incredible privilege that Judas had to be there with Jesus. He was one of the, the, the trusted 12. But then Judas apparently gave up on Jesus in his ministry, decided that it wasn't going the direction he wanted it to go or he thought it should go. Judas knew that the religious leaders were trying to get Jesus put to death. So Judas goes and he, and he actually reaches out to them, he initiates with them, and he sets up this plan to hand Jesus over to them. And in doing so, he would then gain 30 pieces of silver. And for those 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed Jesus. And through that event, we see Jesus ultimately experiencing what these words describe in our lesson. These words that begin, all my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me. Now, the word whisper, it's an interesting word. It's a word that actually uh, is, is, is it's at its core. It's, it's the same core concept as the word that is for serpent. Because the core concept is the idea of this history this hissing sound that a serpent would make. This is the idea with this whispering, this hissing sound that is going on. We talked about this core concept actually um, during our, our, our Ash Wednesday service as we talked about the serpent. And as we talked about it, one of the things we also brought up was that it doesn't just describe this hissing sound, but the word also was used to describe people who were enchanters, people who would try to speak spells over other people. As you think about this idea of whispering, of chanting, of, of, of speaking bad things that happen to someone, it flavors the second half of this verse where it says that they imagine the worst for me. It's not just the idea of, oh, I wonder what kind of bad things might be happening to somebody, but it's the idea of devising bad things, coming up 
with bad things, coming up with the worst of things about someone. If you think about times in your life where someone around you has spoken badly about you, maybe this hissing sound resonates. Maybe, maybe you haven't thought about it that before, that, that, that way before, the idea of like someone, like a snake hissing, but isn't that kind of what it feels like? So when a saying these, these bad things about you, as they are devising what could be wrong with you, especially if somebody is, is, is talking about you and, and coming up and gossiping or slandering, actually, where they're, they're not just sharing the truth in a bad way, but sharing lies about you. What a terrible experience it is to have someone speak about you in a way that is like this hissing sound, in a way where they are coming up with evil about you, the bad things about you, saying bad things about you. And it's amazing what power this has. You know, we, 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 we want to live healthy lives where we are emotionally healthy, where our happiness does not depend on other people. We, we want to find our joy in the Lord. But it is, man, it is hard when you know someone is speaking against you, especially if they are spreading lies about you. The amount of power that has, how hard it is to deal with that, how difficult that is. That's what Jesus experienced. Jesus experienced people hissing against him. People who were plotting and devising evil against him. They were spreading lies about him, but also coming up with and, 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 and coming up with their minds, imagining, devising terrible things happening to Jesus. And he was betrayed. As they devised these terrible things, our lesson says that they were saying a vile disease has beset him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Now those, those words, vile disease, they're, they're interesting in the original language. I see why the translators went with the terms vile disease because it fits with the second part of the verse where it says that he will never get up from the place where he lies. So it seems to fit with, okay, so he's sick. He's never going to get back up again. He's never going to recover. But the words in the original language don't literally mean that. They describe a matter or a word, so something happening, a concept, and then this concept is the opposite of ascend, which seems strange at first, but let me explain why that's what it means. This word, is in, in the core of this word is describing ascending or going up, and it's used to describe something being productive, something being beneficial, something being good or profitable. And so here with this word, it, it's attached to the word anti or opposite of ascending, opposite of going up, opposite of beneficial. This word is describing basically you take the idea of something being good, now flip it upside down. What we're seeing here is the exact opposite. That here with his life, something bad, something awful, something anti-beneficial, anti-good has come upon him, and he's not going to get up. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I find it, 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 it helpful to realize that it's broader than just a disease. The, the, the disease concept, especially as we think about uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus going on in the world, that can resonate right now. We might understand that and, and, and see that in our, we do see that in the world around us, and so the, the having a bad disease can really resonate with us right now. But it's also important for us to see that it's bigger than that. Jesus, when he goes to the cross, he, it's not that he's sick. It's that people are looking at him saying that, you know what? His ministry is going down. 
His life is going down. He is going to die on the cross, and his mission is going to end right there, and he's not going to recover. We're going to put a stop to this. This is what was going on with Jesus. And as we think about relating this to our own lives, maybe it's not so much an illness that resonates, but maybe it's times where people have said that, you know what, we have we've messed up. Something bad is going on. We failed again, and we're not going to recover. Where, where, where people look at us and, and have said that, you know what, life is just going in a bad direction, and they've given up on us. That's the experience that Jesus had when he was betrayed, and maybe that's an experience that we can relate to as well. But what makes it hurt probably the most is who it is that's saying these things. A verse talks about and says, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. The words close friend, they don't do justice. What's going on here? In the original language, it describes a man of shalom. And maybe you've heard that term shalom before, that, that Jewish term, that Hebrew term uh, shalom before. It, it's, it's typically translated peace. But it's not just the absence of, of, of conflict. This word peace, it describes relationship. It describes completeness, togetherness, having comfort. The person that we're describing, it's not just a friend of yours, but someone who is your person of shalom a person who you find comfort in, who you have a special relationship with, a person who you feel at peace when you're together with them and that you find comfort in each other. It's a person that our, our lesson says who was trusted, and that word trusted, it describes throwing one's cares on someone. So you think about all the cares of your life, the things that are on your mind, on your heart, and think about placing your heart, your cares, into the hands of someone. That's, that's the kind of person that we're describing someone, someone who you entrust your cares to, your, your thoughts to, you, someone who you entrust your heart to, someone who is your person of shalom, your person of peace, someone who you have given your heart, put your heart in their hands. You trust them to take care of you and your life and your cares. And it's this person that our lesson says raise their heel against you, which is a way of just saying that they have turned against you and they are fighting against you. To think of someone who, who you trust in that way, who has given you this peace in that way, to, to consider that they are the person who's turned against you. It's probably the hardest reality of all out of this lesson. And unfortunately, it's something that we p- can probably relate to, where we have had people close to us turn against us and fight against us. To, to, to do all the things that this lesson has described so far, to hiss against you, to devise evil about you, to say that, that your life is going down, that you are a failure and you are not getting back up. I think of uh, conversations I've had with people that describe, have told me about people in their lives who have been people that they should trust, and yet these people have just done such hurtful things. I think of uh, some of the conversations I've had with people where they talk about, about a parent who has said things like, you know what, you're, just a, you're, you're no good. You are worthless. You are a failure. And you're never going to amount to anything. I've had people tell me that their parents have said that. I, I'm, it just breaks my heart when I hear that because I've been so blessed to have parents who 
who throughout my life have just, they've been my biggest fans, encouraged me and always shown love to me. Like how hurtful it is to have someone who's in that role say such terrible things to you. Maybe that's, maybe that's your story. Maybe, you, maybe that resonates with you. Maybe it's not a parent. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a close friend or a sibling or whatever it may be. Or maybe, maybe it's not somebody out there Maybe the one who's betrayed you is yourself. I, this, is, this is one that resonates with me so much. I find that sometimes the, 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 the hardest things that I hear, I don't hear with my ears, but I hear with my brain. That that worst hissing sound is not from a person around, side, around me, but it's from my own head. Where I, I think the worst thoughts about myself. Or those thoughts maybe slip in, and, and, and maybe, this is, maybe this is for you, where thoughts that come in and say, you know what, you're no good. You're never going to be good enough. You're not lovable. You're just going to keep making the same mistake. You are a failure. Maybe that voice comes from your own head. Whether it's people around us or from within our own minds, this is something we experience. And it's awful. Being betrayed is awful. And it's what our Savior experienced when he was betrayed by Judas when he went to the cross. But as we think about Jesus being betrayed, we need to also consider the hard reality, the difficult question, why was Jesus betrayed? It wasn't just because Judas wanted money. There's something else. There's something bigger. I mean, because why was Jesus here in the first place? Why was the Son of God here in the first place? And if you go back to a verse that comes just before our lesson in Psalm 41, we get a difficult reminder of why the Son of God was here to begin with. David said, O Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. David recognized that he was in a difficult situation with his family because he had sinned. And his sin created some very difficult things there. And now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that every time we are betrayed by someone, it's because we've done something wrong. Actually, many times it's not. People can betray you for no good reason. Sometimes it is because we've done something wrong, but other times, maybe not. But the reason we, we, what I am saying is that the reason we do experience betrayal in this life is because there is sin in this world and we sin. We are contributors to the brokenness of this world. Why is there betrayal in the world? Why do we experience betrayal in the world? Because we have contributed to the brokenness of it. Again, not that every time we are betrayed it's because we've done something specifically wrong, but rather it's because we live in a sinful world. And if we're honest, we contribute to that sinfulness. You know, it was interesting as we look at, the, look at this first verse when it talks about the enemies whispering together and how that, that root word is that same idea as that of like a serpent hissing. Well, I don't know if you caught in that picture, this big picture of the serpent. Well, right in that picture, Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve took the fruit and they ate it, they listened to the whispers, the hissing of the serpent, rather than the words of God. And they believed, they thought to be true, they thought to be more true the words of the serpent than the words of God. 
And when they took that fruit, basically they align with a serpent and start hissing back at God. They start devising in their minds, okay, maybe God doesn't want what's good for me. Maybe God isn't what's best for me. They listen to the lies of the Satan, of the enemy, and they joined in then basically accusing God. And every time we take the fruit, every time we live our own way instead of God's way, every time we live in a way where we're not trusting what God says, but rather living into our own ways, whenever we do that, we join in hissing at God. We join in imagining that, that God is up to no good and there's nothing good happening there. And maybe we even sometimes act like God, that something bad is happening with God and that God is not able to do something good. I know as Christians, we know that we have eternity with, with, with Jesus, with God. But sometimes we can go about our lives as if, you know what, there's just terrible stuff happening right now and we can live in such a, a, a sad down where we, we are basically acting like God's not able to do something good with this. Don't get me wrong. This is a difficult season that our world is in. But as Christians, we never give up hope that God is in control and he knows what he's doing, and he is able to work in all things according to his plan and his purpose for our good. Sometimes do we forget that and act like, you know, God is down and he's not bringing anything good from this. And whenever we do this, too, we, we, we need to realize that we are doing this as people who are close to God, who were created to be close to God, I should say. People who were created to be in his image and his likeness, to be a walking picture of him in the world. Can you be any closer to God than that? I mean, that's what God created us to be. And God, through his son Jesus, has displayed his heart, shown his heart to us in such a beautiful way. He loves us and treasures us. And yet, so often, we have betrayed him. And that's why we live in a world where there is betrayal, where there is this sting of sin. You know, as we look at the passion history and we look at the betrayal of Jesus, there's something so beautiful that we get to see. The betrayal of Jesus isn't just part of the passion history. It's a key part. It's like the linchpin of it. How does the Son of God get to the cross? It's Judas. Judas hands him over. That, that big turning point is right there. God took the betrayal and used it as a key tool to bring the forgiveness and healing that the world needs. The betrayal of Jesus is the absolute fulfillment of a verse in the Old Testament which really summarizes so beautifully how God works. If you go back to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, and you may recall that Joseph was the favorite son of his father, so his brothers were so jealous with, of him and angry with him. And, and so one day they actually they, they threw him into a pit and then they sold him into slavery. Then he went down to Egypt and was in prison uh, for quite some time. This really difficult life story. But then God actually used that whole sequence of events to make it so that Joseph would become the second most powerful man in Egypt. He would store up grain. They would have this season of storing things, of kind of hanging back so that they could take care, so that people could preserve, be preserved and healed during a time of famine in the world. 
And one of the things that happened towards the tail end of that story is that after Joseph's father died, Joseph's brothers were really concerned. They're like, well, well now what if, Joseph, what if Joseph seeks revenge against us? And they were concerned about it. Well, Joseph let them know, hey, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, the saving of many lives. God took this, this wrongly intended thing, and used it to achieve his purpose to save people, to rescue people. This is what God does. And God did the same thing with Judas. God took that betrayal and made it a key piece in how he's going to bring healing to the world. The betrayal of Jesus was a key piece for how Jesus would get to that cross, where on that cross, he would absorb all of your sin and mine, take it on himself. And he would take all the hurt and the pain that comes with sin and betrayal and absorb it so that it could be defeated, so that it wouldn't have to rest on us anymore, but rather we could be forgiven and free to know our Lord and be known by our Lord. If you know a relationship or have a relationship where there's been a betrayal, there's so much pain afterwards, it can be so hard to, to, to reconcile. Well, Jesus absorbed the pain between us and God so that that pain doesn't have to be there anymore. So that you and I can know fully that we are loved by God, that we are treasured by God, that we have forever with our Lord and that he is with us now. And if betrayal doesn't keep God from his people, if betrayal is actually just a piece that God ends up using in order to rescue his people, can there be any doubt that he is with you right now? There is nothing that can prevent your God from loving you. He loves you. He is with you. He is, is, is here with you. He has taken betrayal and used it as a key piece for how he would rescue you. And if this God can use betrayal as a way to rescue the world, you can also know that he will use whatever experience of betrayal you have in your life. He can work good through it. He can work healing through it. And actually, we know that there is a day where we will experience the fullness of healing from every hurt, every pain, every sting of sin that we've ever experienced, including the sting of being betrayed. You are forgiven. You are healed. You are loved. Because God takes the most difficult things and uses them for good. God took the most awful event and used it as a way to get Jesus to the cross to pay for your sins and mine so we could be right with God, forgiven and loved and so that he could be with us and you can know he is with you now and you will be with him forever. This is the hope. This is the healing we have and we know because Jesus was betrayed.